Welcome to Slow and Steady, the podcast where you get to follow along as we build products in public. Each week, we'll give you an honest peek into our lives as we share our struggles, our wins, and everything in between. Today is November 22nd. This is episode number 160, and I'm feeling curious because with me today is fellow Norwegian Ivar Östus from Unleash, the open source feature flag solution. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. What are you feeling this week? Uh, this week, I'm actually feeling very thankful, to be honest. Uh, and, and I've been thinking a lot about this lately, that I'm very, very lucky. I, I have uh, been able to, to attract a lot of very talented people that is with me currently on this journey. And, and they're super skilled, but they're not just skilled in kind of their tech. They're also skilled in kind of their passion and how they take care of each other and, and kind of make each other strong. And I feel just so, so thankful kind of watching this play out uh, every day now. What a great feeling. What a great week. Yeah. So until we dig into that some more, what problem does Unleash solve? Yeah, I had to... There's been probably two answers I usually give to this. So the simple answer is obviously feature flagging, feature toggle switches. There's a lot of names for the same thing. Uh, but what does that really mean? And the more advanced answer is that it actually enables collaboration. So Unleash is a tool that allows developers to build on build features together uh, in small increments. And, and this is often uh, together with a technique called joint-based development and, and allows you to kind of ship a new feature in small increment, protect it on that joint branch, the main branch, and, and actually release it all the way to production quite early. And this also enables transparency. You can actually share you, your progress together with your team, and you can even show it to other stakeholders, even to your customers, before you're finished. Um, um, and yeah, that's basically the more longer advanced answer to that question. So a feature flag lets you, in some way, guard the features that only some users or no users, but usually some users get access to a feature before other users get access to it. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and there is many ways to, to do it. And the simplest possible way is obviously on or off. And you just use an environment flag for that. That's the simplest, mo most naive solution to that. Uh, but then you, when you add and, and start using a proper feature flagging solution, you, you would enable more advanced segmentation. And it could be only for yourself, only for your team, or it could be a specific customer or a specific region. Maybe you just want to enable it for everyone in Oslo, for instance. Yeah, because we're both in Oslo. I forgot exactly. to do that in the direction. We are following the regions, but we are also both in Oslo. Used to be neighbors and used to study at there. We went to school together for full transparency, but haven't really gotten into talking to you about Unleash. So that's that's why we're doing it on the podcast. About time. Yeah, about time. Um, so what is like, Could you do you have like a really great um, feature flag rule like a company or that it's used the feature flag in like a really cool in a way cool way yeah there, there is a lot of examples of that i actually remember one of the coolest way that we did back when i was working for fin.no uh, starting out with feature flagging one of the cool things that we did there was when we were moving to the cloud we actually integrated feature flagging with the load balancer so that we could uh, gradually send some of the traffic over to the cloud version of the same apps simultaneously as we were running it on-prem. And I felt that was a very cool way to use feature flagging. 
And I think if I remember correctly from the webinar that I kind of saw, or I at least saw the summary, um, that the um, Norwegian kind of, the, the people behind a lot of our welfare technology, I think they said that, okay, we can send this feature now off to users with very specific requirements, like users who only have one job and are only, and live in this part of the country because the the, the feature is, is ready for them, but we cannot handle people who need different benefits or or multiple benefits or have multiple jobs. Um, and that goes back to what you were saying, that you can then release much earlier and everybody can participate because you can be very specific about who sees the feature and then the feature doesn't have to be ready for all those weird edge cases that, that we know will show up. Um, so you mentioned Finn for the people listening who are not Norwegian. That is a really cool version of Craig Craigslist, aka a marketplace, yeah. um, but just so much better. <laughs> and we're such a small country, so all of Norway is on there. Um, and I gather that's that's where the Unleash started. Absolutely. So so it actually started when I was working at Finn as a tech lead in one of the teams. And, and I was very lucky at the time I was working for Finn. We had already done a lot of crazy stuff. We were already doing microservices way earlier than everyone else I, I, I knew about at least. And, and we had also kind of at that time, this was back in, in 2014, we had automated our releases all the way to production. Uh, but then still it was bugging me because I, I really care about uh, how we work with software efficiently. I've been very uh, promoting agile methodologies a, a lot of the times and, and been investing a lot in that. But but we at my team, we still didn't release every week, even though we had weekly sprints and, and we kind of had these ambitions that we should ship something every week. And we didn't. And this bugged me a lot. And, and kind of the re realization of that was that building a feature can be hard. It, often takes more than a week to build a great feature. Uh, <laughs> and you need to kind of split it up in smaller chunks and, and suddenly you are left with what is the op op options you have. You have to hold the code back because you cannot ship out an incomplete feature to users, at least not when you're running a service for all the Norwegians. So, so I had to find kind of a, a way around that and I started exploring. Obviously, people were talking about feature flagging already, but I didn't find a solution that could solve it in a microservice environment and being this centralized service that could serve all our applications and still not crash our app. That was kind of a requirement there. So, so that was when I kind of figured maybe I need to create something myself. So you just had to build it yourself then? Yeah, I did. And, and I obviously I got some help initially. And I, again, super thankful for that. Um, um, we built the initial version actually in two weeks. That was it. So when was this? This was uh, back in 2014. So we built the initial version, maybe November or something. And, and we didn't open source it before uh, Jan 2015. Uh, but then we had already been using it in production for a month or so. So we felt like this is fairly stable. We can open source this. <laughs> and how was the actual initial reaction from the community? Was there a lot of interest in the open source? No, there was Project? not none. It's like <laughs> none. if you put if you put code on GitHub, people is not kind of automatically discovering it. It takes years to actually make people aware. Uh, so, so for me, this is also a bit of a realization. So I, I obviously kept going because I found this as a very nice side project and, and a nice problem to kind of have on the uh, very isolated problem. So it wasn't too complex in the beginning, at least. Like it was possible to do it in the nighttime. 
and evenings and 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 I felt it kind of intriguing and and and, and challenging in in a good way. Uh, but it took some years before people started discovering. Uh, I was talking about this obviously, and 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 a lot of the developers in Unleash in in, in Finn did start adopting Unleash organically. So this was interesting to me. I also saw, I also observed that when they joined the new company, one of the first things they did was to introduce Unleash in that new company. So, so that was super interesting to watch. How, um, what was the agreement with Finn? Was it a completely separate project owned by you or how did that go about? Yeah, so it was open source from day one and this was kind of uh, initially kind of agreed upon uh, from the early days. And, and obviously before I even started the commercial exploration, because there was an exploration also on the commercial opportunity, I obviously in, involved Finn. This is also super important to me. I, I wanted to be know before I even started exploring the commercial possibilities to know what was the Finn stand on it. And um, I just felt like, at least my management, they were very supportive. They they obviously involved some lawyers to make sure that there was no kind of tight connections or anything like that. But other than that, they were just supportive and just wished me good luck with the, the, the project. So when did you start this uh, commercial exploration, as you call it? Uh, yeah, we started that uh, as a side gig, obviously, as you often do in, in 2019. <laughs> And we just tried to learn as much as possible, to be honest. So we put up this crappy WordPress site just to have people signing up. We didn't do much on the offering other than offering the open source hoster. That was basically it. And people start signing up. That was crazy. So if you were using the open source version, you would have to host it yourself. And then yeah. with this WordPress site, you were offering hosted. Yeah, Unleash. so you can basically sign up to get us to host it for you. That was the initial approach and, and what we did in the beginning. That was the only kind of value prop we had, basically. And who were we at this point? At this point, it was me and my brother. So, so we started this together as a side gig, and we were doing our ordinary day jobs, and we were doing this in the afternoon. And we just used this as an opportunity to talk to potential customers. So I think in, in one year... We talked to more than 100 customers, and we mostly focused on the U.S. because time zone-wise, that was easier because in the afternoon, that would be early morning in the U.S., so it was very easy. <laughs> yeah, because you know, you'll never get a Norwegian employee to talk business <laughs> after 4 o'clock, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it was very convenient. And, and you know, the market over there is also super big, and there is a lot of interesting tech companies in the U.S., so you talked to 100 customers. Was just that something you did because, or how did you realize talking to customers would be the right thing to do? Because a lot of, I know a lot of the people listening, like talking to customers is one of the most scariest things and they say they'll do it, but then they don't do it. And did yeah. you do it? Did your brother do it? Did both of you do it? Did you have a script no. or did you just like, yeah, yeah. No, why no, not? We... Why not? So we just did it, both of us, and we had to do it together. This was this was even more important to me at that time than building new features, but because I didn't know what the commercial offering should be and and should it be, and we actually initially thought it should be something totally separate from the open source. Uh, it shouldn't be the same thing. It should be even maybe even branded differently, and and we were so wrong on that kind of. Our unique value prop was the open source, and then the open core model kind of grew on us, and, and we saw that there was a lot of traction in that. And and people actually, it, it's super interesting, but there were so many companies just reaching out because they found the open source. So it was almost like we 
they came to us, we didn't have to come to them. And and so it was easy to kind of find the companies. The hard part was to find time to talk to them, to be honest. <laughs> and they wanted to talk to you. It wasn't, yeah. you had, didn't have to chase them. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. And it was huge companies. It was even like Fortune 500 companies wanting to talk to me and my brother. And we were doing this from kind of the basement in Norway. And, and it was only a sidekick. <laughs> they didn't know that, obviously. <laughs> Not a garage in Silicon Valley, but a basement in Norway. That's going to be yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the new tech heroes. Um, oh, no, but now I forget myself. I had a really good question and now it's gone. Yes. Explain to me what an open core model is. Yeah, so an open core model is that you have an open source product in some sort and uh, available for everyone, free to use and all of that. And then you build some additional features on top usually or that's at least how we did it so so we have a commercial version of unleash that basically extends unleash with more functionality typically suited towards larger enterprises and and typically what you will find there is uh, is sso of course and you would find uh, more collaborative features permission control rbac all of these compliance stuff that larger enterprises often need to, to, to buy software. And of course, in, in addition to that, you typically throw in support and SLAs and stuff like that. So do these larger companies, do they still want you to host them or do they pay for these extra features and then host them itself themselves? Uh, we see both. Uh, we have more customers on the where we hosted for them, uh, but obviously, since we have this open source product, and um, there is already thousands of companies around the globe already running the open source, it's quite simple. Simple, I would say, to to run Unleash yourself. Uh, so, so we see a mix, and some companies who is very kind of. Uh, be careful on how they they operate their developer platform with and they might often have their platform team and they know how to kind of run software uh, some of these will for it could be also be for compliance reasons need to run it themselves uh, but we see a stronger and stronger demand for the the SaaS offering that we hosted for them yeah, i like that you put quote marks around simple hosting it yourself like i don't i i never hosting <laughs> anything myself <laughs> Now, but you have to kind of put yourself in the shoes of a large enterprise with thousands yes. of engineers. So maybe they have a, quite a few that is kind of used to no, running it, software. But it's interesting that even some of these larger companies kind of just want to offload that to to Unleash and have you self-host self-host the, the product for them, even even if they do have the skills or even if they are a large um, company. So what happened after your initial basement calling, talking to, to users? Like how long did you stay in your job at Finn and keep this a side business? And like, when did it become a quote unquote real business? Yeah, so, so we used a year, basically. Maybe that was slow, but again, we had good jobs. We have families, we have small kids, you know. Um, and just jumping into the unknown was not an option for us. We needed to know what we were getting ourselves into. And, and during that time, we learned that there is a huge demand out there. Uh, and we also knew how we could position ourselves slightly different than the competitors. Open source was a key component to that. Uh, and also a lot around privacy and how we think about that. Uh, but then we kind of saw that there is a huge opportunity here. And we did understand kind of the gratitude of the opportunity. 
And, and this allowed us to go out and, and fundraise, basically. And, and we did that seed round in, I don't know, three weeks. It was crazy. It was just go out and grab the money almost. And, <laughs> and it was fantastic for us. That that meant that we could just uh, jump. And, and we both started full-time in, in Jan uh, 2021 and, and started hiring, basically. Because I think that was when I met you on a walk around the neighborhood <laughs> and you were just like, yeah, start a company. And, you know, and then I think, you know, you, the baby started crying or something or we had to go somewhere <sighs> else. Or I don't know. But I was like, what? You just, <laughs> just start, I need to know more. <laughs> um, and uh, how do you feel it's been going since then? Oh, it's been fantastic. Uh, this year has been maybe the the. So, so 2021 was the year we, we used a lot of time building out kind of the enterprise offering and, and kind of polish the product a bit more, hire a head of customer journey, hire a prop, uh, invest in proper UX and all of that. And, and so, so I felt like 2021 was the, the year where we kind of established our initial offering and kind of made it more enterprise-ish and, and kind of a product you would actually like to buy. And, and 2022 has been the year where we have proven the product market fit. And, and it has been crazy and, and, and we have been growing like crazy. And, uh, and I see that what we offer is, is of real value for a lot of companies out there. So when did you start hiring? Because it's at Better UX. Did you use contractors for that? Did you already hire for that? Like what was your first hire? And how was... has the hiring been since? So, so we and again, we we if we want to, if we were to do this, we wanted to do this properly with a proper company, and and we strongly believe in having teams dedicated to to the mission, and uh, so we started hiring immediately. So, so we had the initial team up and running. Actually, the first hire actually started before me even. <laughs> so, so, so that's nice. The first uh, developer, but uh, also the the head of. Uh, Head of customer journey. She she is out of Denmark and, and she was also one of the first hire of the core team. And she started just a few months after me. Um, and uh, also we had another engineer uh, more focusing on the front end than me, uh, together with my my brother. And and we were kind of the core team initially. And since then we have we were kind of focusing on making that scalable, but we needed to add more people along the way. So we, uh, we for instance, added our first salesperson in summer 2021. And, and, and since then we have just been growing. So now we are 27 people actually in the company and we have a subsidiary in the US. So we have a Norwegian Inc and we have a US Inc, uh, mostly because the big business is in the US, so all the salespeople are based out of US, and to do business there is easier if you also have a US Inc. you can invoice from. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, you said something about privacy, that you were focusing more on privacy than your competitors. Do you think that has to do with being Norwegian or European? Yes, uh, absolutely, yeah. So GDPR is a huge thing here in Norway and, and Europe, and, and um, we also see a growing interest into privacy in the US as well. Um, and we are very careful. We don't collect any user data. And that's super important to us. We, we shouldn't do that. And obviously, it puts some constraints on how we architect the solution. And it makes some of the problems a bit harder. But at the same time, we can confidently go into a customer and just say, yeah, but we don't collect that data. That is up to you to collect. And if you want to collect it, fine. But we will not store it. Um, and we don't need it, actually, to provide our service. So 
it's not just that we are privacy compliant. We actually have privacy built into how we architect the solution. I applaud that. I like it. <laughs> why not? Like, why not? More people should do this. Everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> privacy first. No. Yeah. Um, but um, Benedict prepared some questions for me since I am not that into feature flagging. Um, I think this will be Benedict's birthday when this uh, podcast comes out. So head on over to Twitter and wish him happy birthday if you're listening to this on the publishing date. Um, but he, so let's get a little into the, like, the offering here. So one of his questions was, when should uh, we use feature flag and when should we not? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. And, and again, tying back to which problems we are solving. Obviously, when you're building a new feature and you want to divide it up in small iterations, feature flags will be a good tool for doing exactly that. Uh, but then I think actually the, the other question is actually more interesting. When should you not use feature flags? Um, and there is a couple of cases. So, so, so one of the examples that it, it's kind of a related problem, but it's not the same. But we see that Sometimes people confuse this, and, and that is coming to application configuration because it quite sounds like it's similar. It's the same, like, I just want to configure this app. Why can't you just use the same tool for that? Uh, and the problem is that we have, obviously, because we solve a very specific problem around allowing you to dynamically change who you target with your feature, it means that we need to be dynamic by nature. And we also want to do that uh, very efficiently and reliable. So it means that we have chosen to be eventually consistent. So, so we cannot guarantee that we will at all time have the correct configuration for all your application instances, but it will propagate fast enough. But usually with application configuration, you actually want to be consistent during the lifetime of your application. You don't want the configuration to change in the middle of the application runtime. Then you want to restart it with a new configuration. And that means that you are optimizing for different things. And you can get your application into a very weird state because usually your th application configuration should be immutable. Uh, and this is important and it's hard to kind of because it's so similar, at least when you talk about feature flagging and you're putting variants into that and you may be putting some dynamic data into that. And it perfectly makes sense to kind of have dynamic experiments on the fly where you want to try out different sizes and colors and all of that. But it really doesn't make sense to configure your application. That's a different problem. So for instance, if you have several customers of the same application, you wouldn't use feature flag to configure it for the different... <laughs> If you're selling it to multiple customers, like white uh, labeling, it depends. Uh, I think yeah. uh, if it's it always testing depends. a new, if you're testing a new feature, so so we do this. We have an unleash cloud offering, and and we are actually hosting each instance as a single tenant instance instead of doing. So we do multi tenancy at the infra layer instead, because the application is simpler and we can today. So why not? Um, but this also allows us to 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 do a lot of crazy stuff. So we use Unleash to build Unleash, obviously. And, and, and when we are testing new features, for us, it often makes sense to allow all the users from the same customer to have the same experience. Mm -hmm. um, and then we can enable a feature just for one customer to see how, it, how they behave, having that new experience, are there any bugs, all of that. And, uh, and then we actually enable it for that. But then, again, then it's a dynamic thing and it's on purpose going to be dynamic. But if you're talking about this is our offering and, and this customer should always have this header like this, then you're probably using 
a different tool for that. So that kind of ties into another question Benedict had, and that that is, should we uh, toggle features on the user level, the account level, or both? And I'm just guessing at what you were talking about was kind of you're saying when you say users, you you mean users within these companies that then have an account, or yeah, you understand this question better it, than I do. <laughs> it depends on how how you define the account level, but at least yeah. uh, some companies like yourself is a B two B business. Like we provide the service to all the companies, and in that case, uh, when we start rolling it out to actual users, like not enabling it for yourself that's a different case then we enable it per user but if we start rolling it out and want to see how actual users out there being exposed to that feature behave for us it makes sense to do it on the account level if we define the account level to be a specific customer but that could entail a lot of users within that account yes yeah, so we're saying when you're using unleash to build unleash you you do it on user user level so that you can test it internally but then when yeah. you roll it out you do it on the account level exactly. interesting and how does this get confusing at some point yeah it does it gets really <laughs> confusing but actually the best uh, the best decision we did was to start dog fooling start using a leash to build a leash because we are engineers and suddenly we are also the user of our own products and and you know what engineers do when something is confusing they improve it. No, or yes. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. That, because it bugs them if it doesn't work, you know, or if it's hard to understand. They they will go in and fix it. So so I think that's actually just fantastic. And, and I'm so glad that we came to that decision that we want to do use Unleash to build Unleash. Yeah. Uh, so that ties into another question about how do you test the code when it uses a lot of uh, feature flags? What are some strategies for that? <laughs> Yeah, uh, we often get that question, actually. Um, um, on the unit level, it should be easy. It shouldn't matter if you're using feature flags or not. And hopefully, or at least when you're replacing some old code with some new code, hopefully you ha already have tests for that old code, so you only have to test the new code, right? And on the unit level, it's easy to handle. You just test the new or the old, and usually you just use some params to kind of control that in your test. Uh, but then maybe the, the harder part, what you do with integration tests. Um, obviously, having a lot of features be protected with feature flags in your application. And we have seen companies with thousands of them on the extreme cases. Um, and what do you do? Because the permutation per kind of pot can be abnormous. Like there could be many, many permutation of those scenarios. Um, and trying to test everything is, to, to, to my opinion at least, a bit crazy. You should probably <laughs> not do that. Um, and what, what Usually, I recommend, uh, obviously, depending on the use case and, and scenario and stuff, but try to focus on the kind of cases where most user will kind of, how the most user will experience your application. Because testing every combination would be crazy. And maybe you could consider also testing with everything that can be turned off, turned off, just to make sure you have a fallback path that you can turn it off if you need to. Uh, but other than that, trying to test every combination in an integration test, that would be a huge challenge. So you should still have an application if you turn off all the feature flags. You uh, shouldn't have yeah, a feature flag for not... every... There should be something there when you turn off new fe feature yeah, flags. Absolutely. And and this probably... Yeah, I think that is also you should clean up after yourself. And, and this is also something we see that it actually varies a lot. We have some customers where... 
they're really, really good at cleaning up. It's almost like they only have 10 feature flags and they're like 50 people. It's like crazy. And then you have the other kind of customers where they have like 10 users and they have hundreds of feature flags. <laughs> so you kind of have the both extremes. And, um, and I think it's a good practice to clean up after yourself. You have to remember that each feature flag is protecting um, uh, some code. And if you always have that flag on, you actually are not running the old code path where it's off. And that, that's a challenge because over time, you probably evolve your application. And then if you're not executing that off state, where should you have that code in your application in the first place? That's technical depth, right? Mm -hmm. so, so that is also something to consider, like how what are your practices? So, so feature flags is a fantastic tool to help you build features to have, help you kind of experiment, test, validate that you're building the right thing. But then when you have learned that this is the right thing, this is how we want it to be, take it away again. Why should you leave it in there? It's just uh, just creating a mess for yourself and a lot of un unused code out there. Yeah. Yeah, because you're saying a lot of the times it's a feature that is um, replacing another or it's a feature that is being upgraded and then you feature flag the upgrade. So when it's done, done, you want to remove that old version of the feature. Exactly. Because yeah. you don't need it anymore. If you have moved all your traffic to the new code path, why should you mm -hmm. keep the old one around? And what happens if someone suddenly, I don't know, by mistake, disabled that feature flag in a year or so? Are you sure it's still going to work? Probably not. Probably, prob like most, most likely, <laughs> I guarantee you not. So I know a lot of the listeners uh, do enjoy kind of the the corporate structure and the money, um, money side of things, which I'm really bad at asking questions for. So feel free to just talk more about it than I managed to ask. Um, but you said that you led a seed round. Like, how did you go about doing that? Have you raised any more money? And what is your funding path moving forward? Yeah, good question. And and I, I'm a first timer doing a real startup, so so I should be careful on giving advice at least, but I can tell about my story. So we did the seed round and, and we were quite lucky. Uh, we came in contact with really great investors and I really love those type of investors that we were able to attract. We actually chose to go with European investors, uh, mostly because it felt like closer to home i could actually go visit them within a few hours uh but also it's kind of the time zone difference and, and also that it felt like very far away going to the us in the beginning like starting out a new company and all of that so we so we focus on european investors and there is a lot of great uh funds in europe right now and they they the focus is really on on open source in europe at the moment i feel so so it was a good time doing that seed round and we did it in 2020 and, and we announced it in 2021, I guess. Uh, and, and we raised $2.5 million in that seed round. Uh, so it was enough to kind of create that initial offering and, and get the initial core team going. And, and then we start building and, and we used a year approximately. And then we came to a point where we saw that to, to really accelerate and, and we had a lot of great opportunities. And, and also keep in mind that we are selling to some of the largest enterprises in the world. So they have huge expectations around customer success, SLAs, support. And, and Legal documents. Need, exactly. We, we 
you should see the amount of money we use on, on, <laughs> on lawyers and stuff to just get the contracts right and to not kind of be fooled by the customers, I guess. And, and we, yeah, it's crazy. And and kind of the kind of to actually do business with these companies, you need to have a proper kind of organization behind it. And and we saw that, and that was uh, and and we saw early signs of huge potential uh, in, in in what we could achieve. So so we did a new round. We did a Series A. Uh, for that round, we did 14 million US dollar. Uh, so it allows us to scale further, and that's uh, and I was also a good time. I must admit that we did the perfect timing. We did it. Uh, so we announced it early this year. We actually closed it off uh, end of last year, and I think it was perfect timing to a Series A because money was free back then, and it's not free anymore. <laughs> so, Are you happy with the agreements you've gotten? Yes, and and we got fantastic investors. We we were able to bring in uh, bring in an investor from the US this time from the Silicon Valley, and and they're just uh, the type of advice. They're on the board, and and they're super supportive. And they're really challenging us, and and obviously in a good way. Um, and and they've done it before, you know. They've been working with other companies and seen this how this project out, and and. They have a lot of good advice and they can even connect you with the right people at the right time and you need the proper advice. So to me, this has been fantastic at least. Um, um, so at one po- what point do you think you're, you'll, um, I guess, break even? Is that the word? Like, when break are you going to, like... When, when, <laughs> yeah, yeah, good question. And, um, you know... Uh, there is so many opportunities, and obviously, the natural when you're starting on the VC wheel, they, you, typically you do a Series B, Series C, Series D, and you name it, and you can do as many letters <laughs> as you can count, I guess. Uh, to me, so never. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not the business person in this journey, so so to me, obviously, I want to stay alive, and I want us to succeed, and and obviously, if you are very focused on on your costs, uh, you can actually break even earlier than you think but again is that the goal in itself or uh, i don't know uh we we are just growing and, and we are focusing on kind of attracting the right customers for us and and obviously either we need to raise more money or we need to break even at some point and uh but right now we 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 have a lot of money in the bank and, and that's a good thing actually in the downturn uh, a lot of great people are available right now and seeing the tech layers that really hurts me and and yeah it's, it seems like it's a wildfire out there and we have been maybe lucky or maybe kind of the typical Norwegian style we have been a bit careful on the hiring and I see that that gives us a lot of room it means that we have a really decent runway right now and allows us to be very careful on how we bring on board and doesn't have to do crazy bets on the wrong people mm-hmm. and and you, and it makes you not coming to that situation where you have to lay off a lot of people because you yeah. thought there would be more money down the road, more free money as you call it, down the yeah, road that might free. not be as yeah, but that might not be as free in 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 the future. Um, it's not so free anymore. About, <laughs> <laughs> um, so since you're talking about employees, I'm just guessing here, but you're fully remote or do you have an office? Yeah, we actually do have an office in Oslo, more like a co-working space because we are seven people in Oslo, so it's nice to meet up so uh, once in a while. Uh, other than that, most of our product team is based in Europe, at least European time zone. 
makes it easier to collaborate. We also have one person in South Africa, but it's the same time zone, so that's super fantastic. And he's an awesome guy. You should meet him sometime. He 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 yeah, he's just lovely. And and we also have the the, the sales team in the US. So we also have a small sales office in the US, similar type of style, a, a co-working space in mm-hmm. New York. And and yeah, that's that's about it. But everything is remote and I think I I think I am at the office maybe two times a week just to meet the others. <laughs> it's always nice to come downtown Oslo too. It's a nice, it's a nice city. Um, I think we can uh, start thinking about wrapping up. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you would like to talk about in this journey? Anything <laughs> I haven't asked that you would like to tell others who are working? No, I, have you felt like it's been slow and steady though? Or have you felt that, like it's steady. been a rocket ship? Yeah. No, I think uh, to be totally honest, I think uh, actually the key to a success is that it was slow and steady in the beginning. And uh, you shouldn't underestimate the value of, give uh, for any open source project, the value of allowing some time to make it mature. There has been a lot of fantastic contributors over the year who has contributed small fixes, small features, improvements, provided feedback along the way. And and kind of allowing us to to have this strong open source project that it wasn't rushed. It was kind of built carefully over many years. And then kind of accelerating that now with the commercial offering. But I think it, it would be much harder. We, we have seen so many benefits because we customers are reaching out to us now and they're saying like, yeah, I used Unleash for like four years now. Maybe it's time to look at the enterprise offering. And, it's kind of that type of validation is super hard to get. It's almost unbeatable. And yeah, that, and sometimes the, it, you, the only way to achieve that is just to to be slow and steady, I guess. And and yeah, sometimes it just takes time. Um, yeah. To both for as you say for the product to mature, but also just for the for the the market to kind of catch on that you're there, and also trust that you're going to be there. Because I will imagine for a product like yours you don't want to start adopting an open source project that's like six months old or one month old or one year old, because it's going to be a very big change for your organization. And seeing that you're around year after year after year builds that trust. uh, And maybe you wouldn't have been able to sell most much those first six months or a year because they wouldn't have had that trust that you would still be around in another five or six years. Um, So that is absolutely it. I think that's some good advice. Last question. What are some long and short-term goals or plans for Unleash? Yeah, we we have some amazing plans. So right now we are doubling down on collaboration. So obviously, to me, feature flagging Unleash is a tool that enables collaboration for the team. But now we are also bringing it into the product itself. So we are building some amazing features now that allows the team to collaborate on how they make changes and not just uh, uh, synchronous, but also async type of collaboration, because uh, that is uh, how a lot of teams works these days. Um, and building on top of that, we also see, and and kind of the long term vision of what we are trying to build here is that we 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 strongly believe that we need to integrate better with other developers. So we 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 don't want to take the position trying to build everything into the same tool. We see that there is other fantastic tools solving different parts of kind of the developer kind of the dev tool space. 
And we want to integrate well with the other tools that software developers use and, and making it convenient to use at least together with the other tools. What types of tools would that be? You don't have to say the names, but the category. Yeah, it would be, yeah so it would be kind of uh, logging tools, log aggregators, or central, uh, or you could be kind of your Git repository, how you manage changes, but it could also be task management tools, how you plan what you plan, uh, are going to do. Um, and also kind of the application performance monitoring, like observing your application in an environment and see how different version of a feature actually impact kind of the performance. So, so there is a lot of opportunities and, and, and we want to make it easier to integrate with all of these tools. And, and eventually we want to use the, those type of integrations to help teams self-improve. We want to provide the feedback to the teams like, how can I be a better developer? How can I work more efficiently with software? And we want to bring it all together and kind of make that available to you. You're super passionate about this. I guess that's why you've been able to show up every day for this uh, product. Yeah, I am. I, I actually started with kind of the, just the interest. How can we work, work better with software? It started with that, as simple as that. Where can a few people find more, more about, find out more about you? Yeah, where they can find more about me. So I, I'm usually quite active on, on Twitter. So you can probably link my Twitter handle, Ivor Kunruch. It's very hard to pronounce, I guess. And I'm also at LinkedIn. Uh, so th those are the two platforms so I'm usually engaged with others. And the product can be found at... GetUnleashed.io Great. Then I'll see you.